This is the Epilog Audio Experience. The language and content on this podcast may be unsuitable for certain audiences. Listener discretion is advised. Welcome back to History Chatter. In the last two episodes, we've been talking about the great Indian car dream. In the first episode, we spoke about a project that did not quite come through. And in the second episode, I spoke about the 30 years wait, as I'd like to call him. The project, the process, the progress was slow, steady perhaps, but painfully slow. The process would become much faster, riddled with failures, challenges, but also success by the 1980s. And we call it the Maruti story. This is the story I'm going to tell you today in this third episode of our Great Indian Car Dream series in History Chatter, the Maruti story. The government of India took the idea of manufacture of a small car in India seriously by the late 1950s. The idea was taken seriously, not much else. So it went about it slowly. It set up an ad hoc committee on the automobile industry under the economist bureaucrat Mr. L.K. Jha. The Jha committee examined the possibility of manufacturing a low-cost passenger car in India. The target of the project was those, the consumers really, the target consumers were those who made rupees 1000 or less by way of monthly salary and who could not afford a car at the current prices, that is prices in the 1950s. So the target price of the car was to be about 6000 or so. The current price tag of the cars in the market was around the figure of 10,000. The committee, the Jha committee, therefore promptly called the Cheap Car Committee or the Low Cost Car Committee. But it took its job seriously. It studied different models and manufacturers and did not quite rule out foreign collaborations. It sent in a report in 1960 Uh, The report set out the criteria which should decide the model and it wanted, the committee wanted one of the existing car companies in India to manufacture the selected model. The company received some proposals, overall 24 proposals from various firms, which included Hindustan Aeronautics, French car makers, Renault, which wanted a partnership with Mahindra and Mahindra, Hindustan Motors, Premier Automobiles and of course Telco, which was later called Tata Motors. But the tenure of the company was over before it had time to call for more detailed proposals. What happened to the recommendations of this committee is not very clear. At one point in November 1970, the Industries Minister Dinesh Singh told the Parliament that The government took a decision to start a low-price car project in the public sector. 
but again it stepped back when the initial estimates suggested that the project would require an investment of 57 crores. But the government, the industrious department, nonetheless invited 11 private players to explore the option. Sanjay Gandhi was the recipient of one of these letters of intent from the government. Only three of these letters of intent were finally translated into projects, into manufacturing licenses. One Manubhai Thakkar from Vadodara and Sunrise Auto Industries from Bangalore were the other two entrepreneurs who had managed to secure manufacturing licenses for a small car in that round. Sunrise Auto manufactured a three-wheeler car between 1976 and 1982. That uh, three-wheeler car model was called Badal. Manubhai Thakkar, in all probability, did not follow through with the project. Uh, that leaves Sanjay Gandhi. Sanjay Gandhi had been working to develop a small car model since 1966. He started with experiments in modest workshops in North Delhi. Once the prospects of a license seemed bright, he had formally registered the Maruti Motors in June 1971. A few reputed industrialists of the time were roped in as directors. The Haryana government offered 297 acres of prime lands in Gurgaon for a mere 35 lakhs. Bansilal, the then chief minister of Haryana, was a Gandhi family loyalist. The company was now to manufacture 50,000 cars every year. Construction started in right earnest. Soon enough, a U-shaped factory was up, covering one million square feet area. Sanjay Gandhi was a man in a hurry. He exhibited a prototype of the car in the India International Trade Fair in 1972. Another prototype was sent up for testing by the Vehicles Research Department of the Ministry of Defence. The ministry ruled that uh, the car was roadworthy enough. The car was taken out for a test drive across Jammu and Kashmir, Rajasthan, Haryana, Punjab, and Uttar Pradesh. 73 dealers were appointed. Each of them had to pay a big, fat safety deposits. But commercial production never really started in Maruti Motors. It was logically impossible. They had to locally manufacture and procure all the required components, including an engine and a gearbox, locally. The equipment they had was simply not good enough to assemble cars, except in a totally manual fashion. Nonetheless, in 1976, Maruti Motors claimed that they had been making cars from July 1975 at the rate of 15 to 20 pieces a month. 
It was the high noon of emergency. Sanjay Gandhi's mother ruled India like a dictator. No one had the courage to question his claim. The failure had to be covered. So Maruti set up a company to manufacture road rollers and bass bodies. Orders proved easy to secure. Municipal agencies and state governments ordered for road rollers and state transport corporations made advance booking for bus bodies. But the emergency came to an end. The Congress lost the elections in 1977. The Janata government immediately ordered an inquiry against Maruti Motors on charges of favoritism. The directors, anticipating trouble, at once resigned from the board. So, there was this committee, A.C. Gupta Committee, which looked into the Maruti affairs. So the Gupta Committee was given a 13-point term of reference. These terms included looking into all matters relating to the initiation, processing, and clearing of the Maruti small car project. Was Maruti given any special preference? in the matters of testing and clearance of the prototype of the car, or in contracts and agreements with public sector undertakings, or in the allotment of controlled commodities like steel or cement. Meanwhile, orders for the Maruti heavy vehicles dried up. Commercial production of cars was never a serious proposition anyway. The company had lost all real sources of income. But there were expenses on staff and maintenance of facilities. In order to restrict a further increase in liabilities, shareholders called for its dissolution. On 6th March 1978, the Punjab and Haryana High Court ordered its liquidation. Both the movable and immovable properties and assets of the company were handed over to the official liquidator. Later, in 1980, when Indira Gandhi returned to power, Sanjay Gandhi once again tried to revive the company. He had asked his industrialist friends to seek out a foreign collaborator. Prospects of a revival were buried for good in June 1980 when a fatal plane clash took down Sanjay Gandhi. His mother, Indira Gandhi, was not ready yet to give up on his son's dream. She called Arun Nehru. Arun Nehru was heading a painting company in Calcutta. She called him to examine the prospects of Maruti's revival. Arun Nehru was family. His father was a second cousin to Mrs. Gandhi. Arun Nehru came to the conclusion that the project might yet be revived. But it required foreign technology, which only a collaborator could offer. Moreover, the production capacity must rise to 1 lakh units every year for the company to be commercially viable. Mrs. Gandhi immediately arranged for a public sector unit or PSU to be set up. An ordinance was issued to acquire the assets and undertakings of Maruti Motors Limited. 
The ordinance was later made into a law. It was called the Maruti Limited Acquisition and Transfer of Undertakings Act 1980. Maruti Udyog Limited was incorporated in February 1981 as a 100% government owned company. The name of the public sector unit was similar to that of Sanjay Gandhi's defunct company. For a long time, there was a popular impression that it was the same company. People did not realize that the members of the Gandhi family did not have any stake in Maruti Udyog Limited. The task of nationalizing the assets of Sanjay Gandhi's Maruti Motors and incorporating a new government company was not easy. There was suspicion that the project was to benefit the Gandhi family. It was debated in parliament, often during the question hour. Mrs. Gandhi had to make the project succeed in order to set all speculations at rest. She knew well that she had to hire the best managers from both the private and the public sectors. Sumant Malgaukar from Telco was roped in as the non-executive chairman. V. Krishnamurti, who had turned around BHEL, was made the vice chairman come managing director. The brief was simple. Get a car on the road by December 1983. Krishnamurti required freedom from government interferences. Mrs. Gandhi deployed Rajiv Gandhi and Arun Nehru to make sure that that happened. Arun Nehru was eventually made a director in the Maruti board in September 1981. Now, Maruti was from the very beginning an unusual arrangement. It was a message to politicians to keep off Maruti and to bureaucrats not to raise procedural obstacles. Similar arrangements were never made for any other PSU project. Mark my words, similar arrangements were never made for any other PSU project or company before or since. Krishnamurti was free to hire able managers such as D.S. Gupta and R.C. Vargava. Initial efforts to find a foreign collaborator was not encouraging. French from Renault, German Volkswagen and MAN AG, which manufactured commercial vehicles and Ford, submitted detailed proposals. The ministry narrowed down to Renault as a possible partner and selected the Renault 18, R18, which was a 1647cc engine car, a little bigger than the Ambassador. However, the new management found that the prospect did not appear commercially viable. It was too expensive really, for the Indian market. So the new Maruti management commissioned a market survey. The survey showed that over 90% of car usage in India was with less than four passengers. Over 90% of the usage was within the city, 
and consumers attach the greatest value to fuel efficiency, reliability, and low price. The management also decided that the foreign collaborator should not only provide a license to use their technology or to copy one of their models, it should also come on board as a partner with a 40% equity stake and it should also buy back 50% of the production every year. It was clear now from the survey that only a small car would meet the needs of the Indian consumers. Meanwhile, the managers found potential European or American collaborators did not have what they needed, the small car. Plus, the Western companies did not yet believe that the Indian market was large enough or mature enough for them to enter. Cars were highly taxed and it was, of course, I said in the last episode, considered an item of luxury. The economy was still closed and highly controlled. The business environment for foreigners was not friendly at all. They were particularly uncomfortable with a 50% buyback clause. Incidentally, this condition was later dropped. There was a concern that it would upset potential collaborators. Now, this is where and when the Japanese companies come into the picture. Japan had a number of small car manufacturers, but the Maruti management did not yet have sufficient information about these models or the Japanese companies and their style of functioning, manufacturing, marketing, business, and so on. So um, they had to visit Japan and their manufacturing facilities. There were initial plans that the car would be designed by an international expert. In Italy, one of these car designers were in fact uh, spoken to, but uh, there was no time. The deadline was too close. So they had to manage with copying an existing model. There was an initial understanding of sorts with Volkswagen. They had agreed to set up an engine manufacturing plant in India, but not anything more. British Leylands were later making an offer with its medium-sized Morris Eitel or Eitel. But both these options appeared uneconomical. Then the senior management decided to visit Japan in October-November 1981. Till then, India did very little business with Japan. and. Uh, there was very little known about the culture of business in that country. In Japan, at the Tokyo Motor Show, the Maruti team met representatives from Daihatsu Motors, Toyota Motors, Nissan Motors, Mitsubishi, Honda, Suzuki, and Isuzu. They realized that Japan did not only make small cars, but also built variants for different market segments on the same platform. So it was not going to be a one-model deal, but potentially a multi-model one. For example, it could bring a greater range to Maruti, or it would give Maruti the liberty 
to make the van and the pickup truck in addition to the small car. This became the basis of the decision that collaboration with a Japanese company would make more sense. It was clear to the Maruti management that Japanese cars best fit the idea of a people's car because these were especially suitable for crowded cities and narrow roads, which distinguished India until recently. So they could see that these cars would seat four persons, had enough luggage space, and were more fuel efficient. Their cost in Japan, including taxes, was in the range of 30,000 rupees in early 1980s. But uh, two other Delhi-based companies, DCM and Escorts, had already been holding talks with Toyota and Daihatsu. They were out. Meanwhile, Sumant Mulgaukar resigned in December 1981. He wanted Maruti to manufacture light commercial vehicles. He believed small cars had no future in India. At the first meeting since Mulgaukar's exit, the management resolved that priority should be given to the small passenger car. It should preferably be below 1,000cc engine capacity and priced lower than other cars in the market. By mid-January 1982, there were three players left, Daihatsu, Subaru, and Mitsubishi. Talks with Daihatsu fell through after it became clear that it was not serious about the venture. Suzuki Motors was not even a serious contender at the stage. By chance, one of their executives was in Chennai at the moment. He was talking to TVS Motors for another project. On his way back via Delhi, he chanced upon an article in India Today on Maruti affairs and immediately alerted his headquarters. The headquarters immediately sent down a team. Now, Suzuki Motors were asked to submit a detailed commercial proposal within 10 days. Well before that, within a few days, Suzuki sent a three-meter-long telex with a complete proposal for collaborating to manufacture an 800cc car. A meeting with Osamu Suzuki, the managing director of Suzuki Motors, followed in Tokyo. Incidentally, Suzuki had a plant in Pakistan those days. The MD was terribly unhappy with its performance. He blamed it on poor work culture. On 1st of April 1982, Suzuki came to India with a team of executives. He met Prime Minister Indira Gandhi, Industrial Minister N.D. Tiwari, and other government functionaries, and visited the Maruti factory to have further discussions on the details of the collaboration. A detailed memorandum of understanding between Suzuki Motors and Maruti was signed on 14th April 1982. Suzuki agreed to provide technical collaboration and license to manufacture an 800cc car, the carry van, and a pickup truck and a four-wheel drive. Apart from a lump sum payment of uh, $2.4 million, 
Maruti would pay a royalty of 2.15% to Suzuki. Suzuki agreed to pick up a stake in the equity of Maruti, subject to a cap, a maximum, of $20 million. Later, they also agreed to take up 40% within the next five years. The Suzuki models were taken out on Indian roads for test drives by the summer of 82. There was great popular interest wherever they went. Finally, at 12 p.m., 12 in the afternoon, on 2nd of October, 1982, and bang on deadline, two agreements got signed with the government, Suzuki Motors, and uh, Maruti. One was a license agreement on technology transfer between Maruti Udyog and Suzuki Motors. The other was a joint venture between the government of India and Suzuki Motors. A third agreement was signed between Suzuki and Maruti. It covered the sell and supply of CKD components or completely knocked down components for the 10 years of the license period. There was a peculiar problem though. 2nd of October was a dry day. The celebratory toasts were therefore served privately in a suite in the Ashoka Hotel in Delhi. So. In 1981, Gurgaon, where the Maruti factory existed, was just a small town in the largely rural strait of Haryana. The landscape was flat, dusty, and barren. There was no industrial activity worth the name. The Maruti factory Sanjay Gandhi had set up in the mid-1970s was the only prominent landmark. When Suzuki first visited the factory, he was startled to find that the place was swarming with monkeys. R.C. Vargava, who was accompanying Suzuki, told him that the monkeys were there because Maruti was another name for Hanuman the mythological monkey god and uh, the faithful servant of the god Rama. Vargava also explained to him that it would not be possible to kill or hurt the monkeys in any way. They would go away on their own at the appropriate time. Luckily, that is exactly what happened. The production of vehicles would start in October 1983. Sales would start from December 1983. In those three months between October and December, 192 vehicles would be produced and a little over 2,000 vehicles would be assembled up to March 1984. The first cars had to be produced from SKD or semi-knocked-down kits. That is, the entire painted body, along with most of the components, 
were imported for Japan. And these were assembled at the plant. Only with a handful of India-made components were used at that stage. The Maruti top management was very clear about two things. All deadlines had to be met and there would be no compromise on the quality of the car. It wasn't an easy task, considering the problems and obstacles the company had to face. India in the 1980s was not a business-friendly place, even for the private sector. The public sector was even more restricted. Its hands were tied by various laws, rules, regulations and procedures which were applicable to public sector units. No concessions were allowed in this respect, despite the fact that Maruti was being dealt with in a spatially exceptional manner. The management had to work within the system and yet introduce a work culture that would be radically different from the work culture prevailing in other public sector projects. The project implementation schedule was prepared in great detail and every stage of the work to be done each week had been identified. Workers were mostly hired from within a 200 kilometer radius of the factory, but this included states other than Haryana. Maruti also made a conscious effort to hire workers from other parts of India. The first issue that came up for the management was how to name these models. In January 1983, Maruti's advertising agency that was Rediffusion suggested Legend or Aris for the car. Car o van or mascot for the van carry for the pickup truck and jimney for the proposed four-wheel drive vehicle. These names were actually being used by Suzuki Motors, jimney and uh, carry. There were considerable debate on this, but it was finally decided with the approval of the government that the company's flagship product, the car, the small car, would be called Maruti 800. This would help to build the Maruti brand, a name that Sanjay Gandhi had adopted. The van would be called Maruti Van. At a press conference in Calcutta, skeptical journalists mocked that the Maruti 800 would disappear in the city's potholes during the rains. The next year, in 1984, after the monsoons, at another press conference in Calcutta, Vargava asked those journalists what happened. The journalists admitted that Maruti 800 was the only car that kept running, even when the roads were flooded. They wanted to know why. The reason Vargava said, was that the distributor in Suzuki vehicles was waterproof. 
in the ambassador and premier padmini water splashing from the road would enter the distributor and bring the car to a stop now this is the first story of the triumph of maruti on indian roads maruti would go on to score successes after more impressive successes over the next 40 years i would love to talk about every one of this remarkable near miraculous feats of the brand maruti but that will require an entire series on maruti alone but i do want to bring that series up if you let me or if you want me to for this series the great indian car dream i'm afraid i have to draw a full stop right here and i look forward to seeing you next week that is in august we have the whole month ahead we're going to make a special series on princely states integration in modern india do wait up we have a blockbuster series in the offing i'll release the details very soon princely states patel and modern india coming up next month on history chatter bye bye for now